You're listening to Cinema Rex. It's an Iranian film podcast. Episode 3, Jaffa Panoi's No Bears. Farhan, I got a question for you. Yes. Who is the greatest Iranian actor of all time? Is it Jake Gyllenhaal or is it Ben Kingsley? Uh, Alfred Molina in Not Without My Daughter. There you go. Good answer. Well, welcome to a very special episode of Cinema Rex. I'm Kavi Mohebi. And I'm Farhan Moradi. And the reason this is so special is because we have our first ever guest. His name is Ruzbe Heydari. He's a multi-talented award-winning writer-director. Starting off in music video scene, he had created content for artists like Drake, Snoop, Ludacris, and many more. Farhan, did you know that? I did not know that. His work includes the films 100 Lies, Neon Lights, Together Again. He's very recently worked with Eli Roth on Roth's new docudrama series, A Ghost Ruined My Life. And he's the son of prolific Iranian director Jamshid Heydari, an all-around good guy. Ruzbe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited, very excited to be on here talking about uh, cinema, Iranian cinema. And I love the name of the show, by the way. Thank you. Um, that was all me. Has nothing to do with farm. I take that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually, before we start, let me, let's like learn a little bit about you. And I like what I thought really interesting. I mean, we've met before and hung out, but then I did like a deep dive behind the scenes. And I was really fascinated with the fact that you worked on the film together again with your father. Yeah. And that experience being um, that it's a, it's a feature film. It was your first feature film and you shot it entirely in Iran. Yes. So can you just tell us a little bit about that experience and like some of the, uh, I guess, obstacles that were in your way? Well, um, the first obstacle was getting um, permits to shoot it and getting the script approved by Vizarate Ershad, which I, I don't know what that tra- would translate to, <laughs> but you need to, it's, it's like the body that allows you or doesn't allow you to shoot film. Uh, we had our script rewritten almost a dozen times before they gave us the permit. And at first it was a very musical script, you know, like inspired by stuff, you know, modern takes on stuff like Cat Baloo, you know, where we had musical sequences that would progress the story. Uh, all the musical sequences got ripped out of that movie. It was all like incidental music, uh, Mahali music, like folk music of the island of Reshm that we were planning on including in the movie, but we would get comments like, what is this, a music video or a movie? You can't have this much music in a movie and um, whatnot. That's interesting. Yeah, so we, we were, I think, there, at the end of the day, we only had three musical sequences in the movie uh, that we were allowed to, to, to keep. Um, also, the subject matter was quite controversial. Uh, so, you know, we had to hide that it was inspired by true events, uh, which later got revealed uh, at the premiere of the film, and that got us into some hot water. But because of the sensitive nature of the film, uh, even even though everyone was shooting on digital and red and RE um, uh, digital cameras, uh, I was only allowed to shoot on 35, which I'm, I'm okay with. I love shooting on 35 mil, but um, I had a limited amount of stock, and the stock is supplied to you by the government government so you can't really shoot off script like you got to shoot your script or you're not getting any more film stock right so ratios have to be kept as low as possible like max three takes uh because of what we were allotted and um yeah it was it was it was quite an interesting journey i mean i had people on set 
over like over my shoulder looking at monitors being like <laughs> for instance uh the opening sequence of the film uh is our lead actress running away from the police as she's being chased on the beach um and it's i, I mean i got a, i got this shot as wide as i could because i knew what 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 was being said about the shot and what would be said about the shot so i'm going like john ford kurosawa wide on this thing and still I had someone being like, hey, uh, you can't, you got to reshoot this. I can see her, you know, woman parts moving under her, her right. attire. And I was like, but it's a woman and she's running. Like, what do you want me to? So like, you know, uh, we had to like tape it down and keep re- And I was like, yo, this shot is so wide that, that this, this woman is like a ant in this frame like Mm -hmm. how is that what you're drawn to you know uh and that's just one of the one of the many challenges uh we had with with that film so you i remember you mentioning that kind of going back to your earlier years you have a lot of memories as a child being in the edit suite with your dad can you talk about that a little bit yeah it was so magical like i mean insane but magical I, i would walk into these suites and obviously everyone's smoking you know including the editor and it was just like watching watching this tactile edit happen with 35 on a moviola like uh you know the editor would have uh takes like taped to his arm you know takes hanging from the ceiling and 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 as a kid you're just wide-eyed like what is actually going on here this this li- literally looks like magic like wh- what are you doing you know what i mean that and i think that was those are my first memories of of being in edit rooms and watching watching editors and without sound, right? Like they're literally editing with um, watch watching lip lips move. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and to, and I was so fascinated and, and enchanted, I guess, by that that you know eventually that's what I what I ended up doing <laughs> was making films and editing them and and whatnot. But yeah, the, those memories. I mean, those are core memories. <laughs> and that's how you got your start, right? In editing. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean. I, you know, once, once I declared that, Hey, I want to become a filmmaker and I want to direct, uh, my father, uh, and another mentor of mine, uh, they both said the same thing. So I took it very seriously. They said, before, before you, you want to get on set and, and start, you know, messing up, uh, you need to sit down and learn how to edit. Mm. If you want to be a good director, you have to understand how to edit your films together. Mm -hmm. So go edit other people's films and other people's projects. And um, so I, I, I took that, I didn't take that lightly. I took that to heart and I started cutting. And uh, yeah, I became kind of like a sought after editor uh, a little bit. And um, by the time I was ready to shoot my first short film, which was called Jaize, which I shot in my hometown of Shiraz, also on 35 mil expired Fuji stock. But it ended up looking hmm. really cool. It had like this really nice washed out pastel-y look, which which mm. I, which I loved, and and, and it complemented the scenery, the streets, and atmosphere of of Shiraz. Um, mm-hmm. I that 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 short film ended up in a lot of festivals, uh, Oscar qualifying ones too. Um, but um, it was all, I think I think it was about ten and a half minutes, and I and I don't think I shot more than sixteen minutes of footage mm. uh, to 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 get to that edit because I was just like so certain of what I needed, when I needed it, mm-hmm. uh, the length of the shots, you know, I was timing mm-hmm. everything out, um, really approaching 
approaching the shoot with the edit built on paper and in my in my mind well mostly mm-hmm. on paper um so you know i i think and even to this day like my rate because of the editing background i think that's what keeps the ratios low and it keeps the shooting mm-hmm. very intentional you know what i mean mm-hmm. um there's intent behind every shot like it's not like oh let's cover a scene with yeah four or five angles no it's like yeah. i know where i need to be for this line I'm sh- I'm sure you you go through the same thing far uh, on because you also edit and you also mm-hmm. started so you you know you know where you want to be for for moments and you're not yeah. guess you're not guessing it you know and I think that's the the big advantage that editing uh, background oh, yeah. has when when directing film I, I will say you know dragging it towards Panay I feel like having Ruzbe here is a really good um, privilege for us and an opportunity to discuss because you have dealt with being in the face of censorship and finding creativity in that world. And I think Panay really exhibits that probably more than almost any other director working today. Of course, today we are discussing Jafar Panay's 2022 masterpiece, No Bears. Also known as Khersnist. Khersnist. Thank you, Farhan. You are so good at being on top of doing the proper Iranian translation because God knows my accent is awful. I also just translated myself, so I have no idea if like someone is gonna message us separately and be like, "Oh, it's actually injochersnist or whatever." Yeah, yeah, we're we're hoping to have an Iranian fan base, so I think you will get a few of those comments correct. Probably, you. but with your permission, a quick plot summary: Prohibited by the government from making films and from leaving Iran, owing to his politically critical movies, filmmaker Jafar Panayi, playing a fictionalized version of himself, has rented a room at the village of Japan near Turkey's border, where he is remotely directing a docudrama. After prepping for the next day's shoot and photographing the village, Panay is approached by a young woman who desperately asks him if he took a photo of her with her boyfriend, saying that should anyone see it, all hell will break loose and there will be blood. Whether or not Panay is taking the photo is unknown to us, but that woman has been sworn to the hand of another man in the village as a term of agreement to settle a generational long family feud, and the jilted lover wants proof that she's fallen in love with another man. Not wanting to get involved in the village's traditions, yet still protecting the woman's rights, Panay struggles with how involved to make himself, all while trying to finish his latest film. No Bears is two parallel love stories in which the partners are thwarted by hidden, inevitable obstacles, the force of superstition, and the mechanics of power. No Bear won the special jury prize at the Venice Film Festival and was nominated for the Golden Lion, which is the highest honor at the Venice Film Festival. It has a certified fresh tomato score of 99% and an audience score of 81%. And if I may, here is a clip uh, from director Ramin Bahrani talking about Jafar Panahi and No Bears. In 2022, Jafar Panahi was awarded a special prize by the New York Film Critics Circle for his vision, for his courage, for his resilience as a filmmaker, and specifically for No Bears. And he could not attend because he at that time, other than he cannot leave the country, he was actually imprisoned at that time. Now for the second time in his career and life, he was imprisoned in Iran. A ban on making films if you're a filmmaker might as well be a death sentence because any filmmaker out there knows it's like that's all you do. You live, breathe, work. Everything is to make another movie and to dream of another movie. Part of his ability to subvert that and to make five films while being banned is technology he could start to shoot with small digital cameras. He's found a way to pick up that digital camera 
and deal with the limitations of being banned and reinvent and reimagine his formal interests as a director. It feels like it's the beginning of him really pushing into something totally new. Panahi's film, since he's been banned from filmmaking, are a relentless resilience to achieve impossibilities in the face of stark, harsh realities. So with that, Ruzbe, I will turn to you first. What were your initial thoughts of No Bears? Well, I mean, it's it's a masterpiece. I'll just say that uh, Jafar Panahi has really been... Like, first of all, let, let's... Let's let everyone know that Jafar Panahi is not allowed to work. He is barred from directing and making films in his own country. Yeah. Um, he recently just got released from prison. Uh, and he's been under house arrest for quite some time now. I, I And I don't know if that has been lifted or not, but he's been under house arrest for some time. And so the movies that he makes these days are all done in secrecy uh, with next to no resources it's it's him shooter sound person and uh away you go and so the way he approaches his films and especially this one it's there's a lot of meaning there's a there's a lot a lot uh to unpack and he he's brilliant at approaching the most complex subjects but with the simplest in you know he 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 dives in 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 very simple ways and explores very complex issues and concepts and I think No Bears is a great example of that and it's done all throughout the movie where little pieces of dialogue little even camera moves that you know would wash over a lot of people but there's it's saying so much it's it's so packed uh with commentary on society on life in Iran on being an Iranian on censorship on uh Essentially, living in an open air prison is, 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 as we all know, what Iran can be for, for a lot of us. Uh, and, and he's able to get those points across uh, in a very beautiful, poetic, and fluid way uh, and, and without uh, sort of over explaining or, 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 or making it dull or dry. Again, like entry point simplicity and diving into complex issues. And I think No Bears was really good at, at, at that that was one of the things that that blew me away about that movie yeah i i'll echo a lot of what you said um my initial reaction was that i loved it um while watching the movie especially i realized that a lot of the people in the village reminded me of my family especially my family from where my dad's from my dad also grew up speaking azari like my my grandparents uh had like slight turkish accents when they spoke so it and, and even some of the the terminologies that they use or the way that they speak the patterns of their speech reminded me a lot of a lot of my dad's family so i connected with that and initially i'm watching the movie and i'm like oh this is so sweet it's very endearing and as the movie goes on you it becomes much darker and by the end of the film you're just left with this feeling that is really inexplainable like i can't put it into words and i think that that's also reflected in the setting in which i watched it because as soon as the movie finished that theater was dead silent you could hear a pin drop like i was with a group of other filmmakers none of us spoke to each other everyone exited that auditorium completely silently 
So that was, it was, it was definitely an interesting experience. Um, I also just a couple little things that, that I really liked and that I kind of picked up on. Um, one was the fact that everyone calls him Aga, like that he works with. The translation says, sir, Aga has, in the context that they're using it, has a little more weight than just calling somebody sir or mister. The way that they're using the word Aga is probably likened a little more to master in the like traditional British sense. So there's a lot of reverence behind it. Everyone puts a lot of respect on this guy. Um, and then in the village, everyone calls him Aga Mohandes, which is like Mr. Engineer would be the exact would be the literal translation, <laughs> but it's it's especially used in in rural areas of Iran or by older people in Iran. And the idea is that you're you're talking. The idea is that you're giving respect to somebody who's either educated um, or they're technically proficient. And in this case, this guy's both. So everyone in this in this village is calling him Mister Engineer because they respect him a lot. They know he's smart. They know he's technically proficient yeah and i mean all and this can be a, a respect but it could also be like a i don't know it could all it, it, it can depends. be facetious for sure it, it can be facetious right so and i feel yeah. like at some points the way they're addressing him as all Mohandis goes back and forth between for sure between respectful and facetious and i, and I for sure just, you know and, and it's again that's something like foreign audiences you know you got to explain that to them but that's definitely a term that's thrown around uh and not you know not everyone's an engineer in iran but yeah, yeah. Every, everyone gets called an engineer all i want is yeah <laughs> one other thing that that kind of came out to me was the the fact that everyone called it torque like what they're speaking, but it's clearly Azeri. Yeah. And in the, in the subtitles, they put Azeri, but that's also a contextual thing. Like growing up, I was always like, oh, my dad speaks Turkish. And then later when my dad went to Turkey and he came back, I was like, yeah, so it was like easy, right? And he's like, no, it's, it's not exactly the same, blah, 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 blah. And then later I found out, oh, he's actually speaking Azeri, which is a little different. Like Turkish in Turkey is a mix of like Azeri, Arabic, Anatolian, like ancient Lydian. Like it's a combination of tons of stuff to make modern Turkish. But Azeri, the like Turk that they speak in Iran is is very different. And again, with the back to Aramwan, it's like when the Kad Khoda, the, the, the kind of the leader of the village would call him that, like you could see that there's a little bit of distaste. You know, like sometimes, like, yeah, sometimes. sometimes I, right? I would say initially when he's talking to him, he's like, I think the the leader of the village is taking pride in the fact that there's this like city educated guy here. But then later on in the film, he's yes. definitely using it more to be like you're arrogant. What would be what would be like the English word for cat hoda? Like what 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 they use in the subtitles? I wasn't reading the subtitles for most of it, but they use sheriff. Which I feel like is apt. It's apt, yeah. I mean, Kat Khoda is different than a sheriff, though. He's like the, the 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 ruler of the village. Like he is, you know, every, everything goes through the Kat Khoda. Everything. Yeah, yeah. You know he's I mean? kind of like a mayor and a sheriff and like a judge all rolled into all one. All rolled in. Yeah. Did you? Did any of you all notice like the 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 subtle uh, sort of um, 
imagery that came along with like uh, the the village ruler, village leader's house or his his abode or or the way he talked to people or even at, at first I even thought, you know, when um, you know when he's trying to get a signal uh, a, 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 and then like Rambar. Um, uh, the guy whose house he's renting is like, oh, like Kat Khoda says everything is fine here. It's all good. Like, I don't know why you're not getting a signal. That to me was like a direct like knock on the ruling class of Iran who are always like, everything's fine. Everything's cool. Like, what, what are you guys talking about? You know what I mean? The guy can't get a signal. But, you know, obviously the, the Kat Khoda is like, no, we got we have Internet here. We have a good signal. Da, 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 what are you talking about? And also when he goes into the house for the first time. Um, you know, the superiority is, and the class divide is really shown. When Panahi goes into Kadhoda's house, there's all this like bright fabrics and like cushions. And it's the only, only time in the movie you see in that uh, village that you see couches, like sofas, you know, they're not sitting on the mm. ground or you're there. And, and I thought those like, again, like through sim simple, things like you really like uh, he's hitting home even a, a, a huge class divide within that rural village even mm. uh, which is a commentary on the on the larger issue of of, of classism and class divide in iran mm. i think for sure 100%. society and the, the larger the larger 100%. uh issues in iran yeah 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 and we can get we can get into that kava you haven't given your reaction well i like the movie <laughs> um it, but the weird thing for me is I've always loved Panahi as a person more than I've loved him as a filmmaker. And I was one of those guys that was like, yeah, Panahi is okay. And everyone's like, what? How do you not love his films? And I've only seen like a handful, White Balloon, Offside, uh, This Is Not a Film, Closed Curtain, and now this. And I, oh, and Taxi. That's a lot more than a handful. He, I mean, he's made more, like he's made like triple that amount of film. It's like a third only of his filmography. I think. It's still a lot of movies. This is still, yeah, you, you, you're familiar it's with true. his films. But the thing is, for the longest time I was, I kind of was like, again, because you guys are directors, I'm a writer. I'm like screenwriter by trade. And I'm always going back to script. And so I love and respect the courage this guy has as a filmmaker. But I was always like, man, it's, it's like ever since the house rest, it's always him. It's always documentary style. And it, it just like lacked the things that like Akira Stami has of like that. Po it, I, I was stuck for a long time really deciphering. No Bears is probably my favorite Panahi film, but it also even took me two or three viewings to really get what made it click for me. And I'd say it's this. First of all, I will say this. I love his cat and mouse game with the government. Every single film of his is a challenge to a government that's holding back his creative creativity. And even like the opening shots of this film, you know, the screenwriter, I always go like, what are the first things you see? Um, it's, you know, it's this like, you think you're seeing this film about these two actors in Turkey. You think that's the film. Then all of a sudden it cuts and the AD comes and interrupts the shot. And you're like, oh, this is a making of a movie. Then it like pans out and he's on a laptop watching this cut. And then the internet cuts out. And these are like the first three minutes. And he's, it's like, it's that thing of like, in film nist. It's that play of like, I'm, mm -hmm. Am I making a movie? Am I not making a movie? No, it's just me working on a movie. And it's like, the, it's it's such a wink to the audience mm -hmm. of like, look at me play this back and forth with the government that's imposing. Mm -hmm. So I love that. And I, I'm going to go to you guys with a question because once I had a solution in my mind of this answer, I really connected with the film on another level. And it's mm -hmm. this. Can we discuss 
did he take the photo? Does he know about the photo existing on his camera? Because I feel like it's two completely different interpretations. I will say first, really quickly, I think he totally does. He did take the photo. He knows he took the photo. And I think he deleted the photo. And the reason I think he did is because previous to that, when he goes out in the desert with his AD, you know, when his, his AD is convincing him to come to Turkey and cross mm. the border, he comes back the next day. Ganpar says to him, did you go out? And he's like, no, I didn't go out at all. He goes, but there's like sand on your car. And he's like, I didn't go out at all. Like it must have been whatever. And so he's already lying to the people mm-hmm. of that village. So you know from that first lie that he's not above withholding secrets from yeah, them. Yeah, it's in his character. He d- it's in his character. And specifically because, and when we go to behind the scenes, I want to talk a bit about Panay's, um, like his, 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 his fight for freedom and how he stands up for women with films like Offside. And it's like, He's doing this all to protect this woman yeah. who's come to him, right? And what I love about it is the, the the gang always comes up to him with new ways to get what they want out of him. Yeah. First, they talk to him. They show up at his house. And he says, I don't have the photos. Then the sheriff has to come. It's in the level of the sheriff, like you're saying, quote, unquote. And it's like, now they're pushing him with authority. And he still says no. Then they bring the little kid in. And like the kid said, he saw you took a photo. He's like, I, don't, I didn't take a photo. And then after all that, he's like, take my camera and look. And I think at this point, he's deleted the photo. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, there's nothing here. Then they're like, now we want you to take an oath. It's like, Baba, let, let him go. Like, he doesn't. But, and he's standing up to that. And it's all, they're doing all this in a bid to control a woman's fate. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like this culture that, yes, they have their traditions. But they're like, we won't take no from Jafar Panay as an answer. Mm-hmm. Because we want to decide what happens with this woman's life. Mm-hmm. And he is defiantly standing up lying through his teeth mm-hmm. in my opinion mm-hmm. to protect the woman and that's why that to me the moment i realized on second viewing that he's he's lied once to them before about going to the desert so of course he'd lie again mm-hmm. i was like this is about a man who is fighting for one woman's freedom i mean and the boyfriend too but- well and and i think that him fighting for that woman's freedom is is a reflection of the society like he's talked about how all of his movies are commentary on the way that women are treated in Iran, specifically. And this film, I think, also talks about his own situation, where while he's creating art, he's accused of disturbing the peace in a patriarchal society. And his honor is questioned, his peace is disturbed, he's threatened, he's prohibited from leaving, but he also interprets this as they're trying to give him give him an excuse to leave, and all because a supposed like pious group of leaders are making accusations of him for what he perceives to be an innocent, independent art, right? So so I think that this movie is 100% an allegory for his own predicament in Iran and in the environment that he lives in, right? Um, of course. It's, it's a big microcosm. I mean, even from the beginning of the movie when he's trying to get signal on top of the roof and Rambat is like, no, 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 let me go up there. If someone sees you up there, they might see, think of you like you're trying to view inside their windows and da-da-da. That's like, that's sexism. That's misogyny. He is like painting the picture of this, you know, misogyny right from the top, like right from the start of, of the film. You know what I mean? And and uh, yeah, I absolutely think he did delete that photo because once Gozal comes to him, he goes right into his room. He looks at the camera, flips around, does something, and then boom, there's no picture. Yeah, right. That that that's that sequence is there, like right after he's confronted by the young woman, and and I do think he deleted deleted that mm. photo to protect her. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, if she is caught in that in that in that situation, 
it's not good. It's not going to end well for her or her family even. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the the other thing, speaking of him uh, fighting against the culture too, is have you noticed the only people he speaks Azari to are the elderly women in the in the village? Other than that, he's speaking Farsi Persian, and and he says even when taking the oath, they're like, we want you to say it in Azari, and he's like, if it's okay with you, I'd, I'd feel much more comfortable speaking in Farsi Persian, and he says. I, you know, he says, I, I, res, like, I, I speak comfortably Azari with my mother. It's my mother's tongue, right? Mm-hmm. And he's saying that in a sense of like, he, he will reserve the respect to speak the language of his mother tongue to elderly women, mm-hmm. people who remind him of his mother. He'll speak Azari to his mother, and he'll speak Azari to the women he gives who them remind that honor. him of his mother. He does to these people who are demanding an oath from him. He's like, I'm going to speak my, la- I'm going to speak Persian. It's my language, and he doesn't this even do language. it on the Quran. He's like, I'm doing it my way. And I'm going to film it. He's using the sin again. It's like, and I will do it under the permission that you allow me to film this. It's like, even then he's still getting the cinematic value Mm -hmm. of taking such Mm -hmm. a moment and he won't capitulate. But I just like that fact that like, he still has the respect for that generation, the mother's generation. Those women will get, he'll speak. And I just found that really interesting. It was such a subtle nod to where his allegiance stands. And it's, it's, it is a big, it's like, you know, this film is a microcosm of the, greater problems and i will say that again and again like even the safety like he talks about iranians lives in danger within the borders and outside the borders uh Mm -hmm. you know the, the the statement he's giving there i i think in my in my personal opinion is that we are not safe within our lands or outside Mm -hmm. of our lands you know what I mean, and and I think mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. this story does serve as a microcosm for the for the bigger issues that we all face as Iranians, um, whether we're in in or out of the country. Mm-hmm. I I also loved seeing when he was at the border, how when the 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 guy that he works with is like, oh, you're literally standing on the border. He immediately like stumbles back. Back. Yeah, yeah. and I think that that is also indicative of the fact that. I think in some ways he's scared to leave, right? And I think that he doesn't want to leave, that it's this is his home, this is where he's from, and he's he he feels as this he shouldn't be forced to leave. It's not right. And that's also reflected in the village, where he's like, Why are you guys trying to find every excuse you can to make me want to leave? And we can talk about this when we get to um to trivia, but this is also echoed in his own reality where the first time that he got arrested, it's like highly suggested to him by the government of like, why don't you just leave? And then ironically, he's prevented from leaving later. And similarly, even in this movie, he's sort of prevented from leaving a bunch of times too, right? Yeah, that, that, that moment uh, on the border, man, that, <clears throat> yeah. that, was, that was a beautiful moment because... You know, and I was watching it with my dad and he was saying things like, you know, as an Iranian artist, like we shouldn't have to leave our home. We don't yeah. want we don't want to leave our home. Like it's not a good thought for us. Like we want to be Iranians mm-hmm. making art in Iran. Like so I don't want to leave, especially under the cover of night uh, in smuggling routes, like drug smuggling mm-hmm. routes, human trafficking routes. He's like, mm-hmm. that's not what an artist needs to do. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that was like really, really well, well orchestrated and, and shot and, and displayed like that sense of like, I, I really like, I'm trying to smuggle myself out for what, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. With that, let's move to behind the scenes and actually let's just lump behind the scenes and trivia together. Cause I feel like a lot sure. of for this film specifically sure. is kind of like falls into a lot of the same category. From what I had been able to read, Panayi is said to have received more freedom to produce the film after the, after the end of the curfew imposed in 2022 due to COVID. So apparently COVID-19 played a factor in a little bit more freedom to make this film under what guys, I don't like, I don't know exactly the details of how his relationship works with the government because they're clearly aware he's making films. Yeah. Production wrapped in May, 2022 and the rights were traded shortly after at the 2022 Cannes Film Festival, which had undertaken the same task for his previous films. And then on July 11th, 2022, Panay was arrested and sentenced to six years in Evin prison on the charges of propaganda against the regime because of his, his outspoken, um, beliefs in the women life freedom movement uh, what that was that and i think that was specifically due to uh him signing the letter uh uh put down your arms oh was it yeah it was for the letter yeah which is just like it's just i don't know it, the guy can't catch a break even in his like attempts of like his his entire career is about outspeaking against the government they just keep wanting to take films away from him but then at what he went on he was there instead of six years he was there for a few months he went on a hunger strike and the government essentially they got worried about how that would look. Which which arrest freedom. was that? What year? The the, the recent one. The one. That oh, this, the recent uh, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you did you talk about the the earlier arrests? Because there was one in two thousand three, and then there was another one in two thousand ten. No, go ahead. Why don't you talk about that one? So in two thousand three, uh, around the time of his film Crimson Gold, he was apprehended by the government, and they told him he should leave Iran, and he was like. Well, this is weird. I'm not leaving. Blah, 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 blah. And then in 2009, uh, he was at the gravesite of Neda, who was a protester who had been shot during um, like the, um, the Green Revolution or the Green Movement in Iran at the time, um, where people were protesting uh, rigged elections. And him and a group of other people were mourning and he was arrested word got out to the international community especially among filmmakers and the press and because of that international pressure they released him and a couple months later he went to the montreal world film festival and he convinced the entire jury to wear green and then when he went back to iran and he was putting in an application to travel for i think can they uh immediately were like nope can't go i don't know it might not have been can but i know that he was trying to go he put in an application to go to another film festival and he was immediately denied and then a couple weeks later he was arrested and thrown into evin again i think it was the berlinale and i think his niece showed up instead of him <laughs> when does the berlinale take place because the, the, he was denied in february that i know uh, yeah it takes place in february that's right cool Cool, cool, cool. Then, yeah, that must have been it. But, yeah, because there was this one Berlinale where he was supposed to be there, um, but his his niece showed up mm. uh, and, and accepted an award on his behalf and, and gave, like, quite an emotional... <laughs> for, and she's small, right? She was, like, 10 yeah. or 12 years old at the time. Oh, you my know? God. Yeah. He's been in and out of prison quite a bit. Yeah, he's no, he's no stranger. And house arrest. Let's, let's not forget Yeah, house that. arrest. He was finally for the first time he his 14 year travel ban was released and he left for a very short vacation with his wife to France and then they went back to Iran. Mm. What year was this? This was recently. This was like a few months ago. After his oh, okay. so recently after he was let out of jail, they relinquished him of his travel ban mm. 
and he went to France with his wife. And a lot of people thought that he was going to never go back. And then he ended up going back. Yeah, it says a lot about that scene, like with the border, when he's standing on the border and he takes the step back. Yeah. it's Is it like, is he afraid all of a sudden, oh my God, I might get in trouble? Or is it more like he's made this decision never to leave? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I, I think. I think it's a fear of not being able to return once you step because of the love he has for for his motherland and his nation and his, you know, his people and and. Um, but I also think it's 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 a, it's an internal sort of dialogue of him, you know, telling himself I shouldn't have to cross this border in the dark in the middle of the night as a like in a smuggling route you know i'm an artist mm-hmm. i'm a filmmaker like I, I i don't need to be like this is not who i am like i need to be making films mm-hmm. in my country mm-hmm. you know in the language that i know and, and i and i think that's why he kind of steps back it's yeah it's a fear of not being able to return because once mm-hmm. you cross you know uh, coming back is not going to be the simplest once you especially right. if you cross illegally but also it's mm-hmm. it's the it's the um you know the thought of I don't need to do this. Like this is this is this is ridiculous. Like what yeah. the hell what the hell am I doing here? Yeah, if a stranger enters your home and tells you like like are you going to leave? Like are you yeah. going to be like okay, I'll leave my home and give it up to these strangers or are you going to stand and fight for your staying in your home? Like that's what he's doing. Exactly. Um and you know, a lot of filmmakers have echoed that uh a little bit off topic um did, but very much on topic. Have you have you two ever heard of a Kurdish filmmaker named Yilmaz Guni? No. I think there two, two things. Well, there the you know Yilmaz Guni was once uh, quoted saying, "I um, you know we have two options: to give up and die, or to fight." And I choose to fight. Yilmaz Guni uh, was imprisoned for most of his life uh, by Turkish authorities, uh, banned from making films, and he actually directed films from his prison cell he would he would shot list and storyboard his screenplays and hand it to his assistant wow and his assistant would go and and get these shots and and yilmaz guni was like he was an award-winning filmmaker he won a palm d'or you know what i mean um Mm -hmm. and and i think his film yol which is translates to the road was the last time he did this where, where he was actually directing from a prison cell and i have to say after watching no bears that this could have very much been influenced. He Pana, he must have been influenced by the life story a little bit of Yilmaz, mm. um, because it's so similar what he's doing. You know, he's directing, mm. he's di- he's directing a film in, essentially in a prison. Do you do you have more BTS on trivia? Two smaller, two little bits. Next on trivia, after No Bears was selected for the Golden Lion com- competition of the Venice Film Festival, the Ministry of Culture of the Islamic Republic of Iran called the film a political game rather than a movie that does not have a production license. On January 28, 2022, the Iranian Film Directors Association issued an official statement congratulating the selected directors for the nomination and moreover demanding that the Iranian government consider the request of 19 cinema guilds and hundreds of cinematographers to examine the status of these filmmakers and their release as soon as possible. So my, I have one BTS question more than a statement. Mm-hmm. If you go to the scene where it's at the end of the movie, and this is why earlier off mic, I was asking you guys if you knew whether or not there was an alternate ending. Mm-hmm. Ganbar's line is different. Than what? 
than what was recorded on set. Oh, okay. Because he has lip flap that doesn't match at all. And the sound of the mic even sounds different. But then the second half of his line does match. And like, this isn't like, this isn't like the deer where the entire movie was redubbed. So sometimes the lip flap doesn't match, yada, yada, yada. Like all of the lip flap in this movie matches with the exception of that one piece. Just to clarify, is this, is this the line when he's saying, get, like, don't, just get out of here, don't look, like, that, leave the village? No, that part is is accurate to what was recorded on set. But the first part where he's like, oh, um, what were the names of the of the young man and the young woman again? Soldus and uh, yeah. Giselle. Giselle, yeah. Giselle. So he's like, he's like, Giselle and Soldus were killed. By the border guards as they were trying to escape. And you only see Soldus's body. You you only see Soldus's body. And he says they were shot. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like he was shot. It looks like his head was bashed in on that rock. With a rock, yeah. Yeah. And interesting. You like you you don't know what happens. So it's the other thing for me that was that was interesting there is that earlier on in the film, his colleague says specifically that the border police have no power in this area that the power is all in the hands of the the smugglers because the border police have base, have effectively just like left the area they didn't have the manpower whatever it is so it's the it's the smugglers that kind of run this area like a like a cartel right but mm-hmm. was it did they say that did they specify that it was the border police who shot them or they just got shot at the border? No, he says shot. He yeah, he doesn't he? shot. Yeah, he doesn't specify who shot them. He just says shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember double checking that. Yeah, too, same, actually. same, okay. same. I think it just says shot. He doesn't specify. But, you know, another, another amazing thing about Penai is like the violence is baked into the story it's not created like it's not like it's not like a western it's not like a rambo it's just like the and he doesn't show the violence like he doesn't show the shooting he doesn't mm-hmm. show the, the 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 blood spilling out it's just it's just inherent in the in the the lives of these characters and these people mm-hmm. and the yeah. situations and and that to me is uh bone chilling M- more so than yeah. a kill bill kill you know what i mean it's just in the fabric of the society it's in the backdrop like the trees and rocks and it's, stuff are it's it, just kind of like there. existing within them mm-hmm. yeah yeah very yeah. very well said Kava. thank you Rizma. so the other thing that he says is that they dragged you're right that it's not border police it just says they were trying to cross the border and then they got killed um the other thing that he says is that they dragged themselves back to here like all the way back to like just outside the village which, when you see the state that Soldus is in, this guy did not drag himself anywhere. Like, this guy was clearly murdered on that rock. So I, I think that the ending was changed, and I'm curious to know why. I did find one of the actors on Instagram, so I, I kind of want to ask him. You should ask, because uh, Yaroub, uh, the person who's trying to... Um Mary, the, the the spurned lover. Yeah, spurned lover. yeah. You know, he he. Though throughout the whole movie, you get the impression that this this guy is gonna kill somebody. Yeah, and yeah. and yeah. and Giselle even says like, he's gonna. There's kill going to be blood. Blood. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not in that last scene. You don't see him at all. You, you don't. don't see him, and you don't see uh, Giselle. Giselle. Yeah. And, neither and one. He, 
And so he says he's going to take matters into his own hands too. Yes, he, he says like you guys aren't going to be there for me. I'll take care of this myself. And you see him fist fight the guy. So yeah, you can draw your own conclusions how it went down. So may- maybe Panahi, maybe um, didn't want to paint the worst picture of this villager boy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And maybe in the edit, you maybe I don't know. Who knows? He was just like, yeah, let's just throw throw to the smugglers. <laughs> You know, because I don't want to, I don't want to, you know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe yeah. he had some reservations about. But he also doesn't blame the smugglers. It's like pretty open. Pretty open. Into yeah. who shot him. So it, you, it could also be the border guards. Or Yagub. Yeah. It's Yagub, right? It is. Yeah. Okay. Were you, any other BTS? When you say BTS, by the way, I keep thinking of like, we're talking about the South Korean pop band. What? Oh, haha, that's what. You know BTS? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> any other behind the scenes? That's all I've got. Okay. Uh, critical reaction. I have a few, but most of them are one sentences, but I could rapid fire them of what like the critical response was if you want. Oh, one more BTS. Did anyone else, did anyone else catch the Del Cash song that is sung at the birthday party? That yes. was beautiful. Bordias Yadam, which was yeah. Del Cash, which then later turned into a duet with Vigen. And yeah. I, I thought that was brilliant because just, just the lyrics of that song are, are so incredibly haunting and sad and mournful. And, and Where was this played? During the... Uh, Zara was singing it at her birthday party oh, in Turkey. Okay. And, and she yeah. was singing, right. yes, yes, she yeah. was singing the Del Cash song and, and that gave me chills. Yeah, every me t- too. Every time I hear that song, and I'm not trying to like sound like, like a weirdo or not, every time I hear that song, like tears just start coming out mm-hmm. of my eyes and i think for a lot of iranians it's the same uh bored yes yadam just means you forgot about me that the uh, translation mm-hmm. of the song title like if i play that song for my mom like i'm getting teary thinking of just thinking about the lyrics or my dad like they'll just the waterworks start coming yeah and the fact that he put that song in a birthday party with zara whose fate we all know in yeah. the movie i i just thought that was super chilling Ooh. It was I mean, especially if the especially if the line is you forgot about me like that's kind of like what her biggest problem is with her her lover mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. story. I will mention and we could talk about this for nitpicks like we've spent so much time talking about that storyline it's just interesting to me how little we've spent focusing on the B plot of the entire film which is these two the the lovers that are in, currently in Turkey trying to find a thing I personally think it's for me, it's a little bit of a drawback from in terms of interest. Like, I'm really more interested in Panay's storyline. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just interesting how we've gone, like, about an hour into the podcast and not mention it. I just want one thing about that storyline. I think the, 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 the turkey love story, I think, is, like, sort of the set piece and framing of... Panay's, like, story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that's why we're not so drawn to it. It's almost just, like, the our in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. to, to Panay's story in reality. I have a question about the B storyline. If we want to just touch on it real quick. Uh, this went over my head. Probably I probably have to watch again. But uh, there's a scene where Zara, or not Zara, where um, Bakhtiar, uh, Zara's partner, is breaking down and he goes on about saying all the abuse, all the imprisonment, the jail, the torture didn't affect her as badly as the lie I told her. What was that lie? Can someone 
Can someone help me out here? What was the lie that drove Zara over the edge? I think I'll half answer it, but I think Farhan has a better answer. But from my understanding, it's, it was the agreements of whether or not they were going to leave together. But then Bakhtiar says, I feel like he says something like his visa hasn't gone through yet, so she's going to go first without him. It's right? not, Is it's, it something it's, like that? It's, it's, it's a fake passport, but he, he ends up getting one. So I don't know what. No, it's fake. It's a fake passport. Yeah. Yeah, but he, right. but he ends up getting one anyways. No, like he, he doesn't. Get, he doesn't get one. She's going to go without him. And I think yeah. she's betrayed by that. And they don't tell her even at the end. Like she deduces it on her own. Like the, uh, the idea is that she saw the fake passport herself and tries to pretend like she doesn't see it, plays the scene. And then mid scene, mid scene, she breaks character and she's like, you guys think I'm stupid? Like, I know that you're all lying to me. And then Panay is like, what are you talking about? And then she's like, oh, so it's just him lying to me, I guess. But like, this is clearly a fake passport. This is not a European Union passport. This is just a cover for one. And the inside is an Iranian passport. Like, you all lied to me to try to get this scene out of me to, so that you can finish your movie and have this whole thing. Mm. So neither of them are leaving? Or she's just she, leaving. She's, he is not. Leaving, his He's passport not, is exactly. fake. And, and he mm. knew that his passport was fake. Like, yeah. her, her Bakhtiar knew that his passport yeah. was fake and he lied to her to get her to do the scene and to get her to, to leave, to go to the airport. Yeah. Cause they were actually going to go to the airport there. Like literally yes. they were going yeah. to go not just for the sake of the movie, but she was actually going to get on the plane. And then at yeah. the airport, conceivably they would, he would reveal to her that, Hey, I don't actually have a real passport. You have to go without me. And at that point she's through security. There's nothing she can do about it. Yeah. And so she felt super betrayed by him. And at this point now, she's already in such a poor emotional state that I think the fact that this one person that she loves, this anchor in her life, has betrayed her. Everything that she had left to live for is basically gone. And he knows it. He knows that that betrayal is going to set her over the edge because she had so much trauma and she was in such a volatile emotional state. But he's eventually going to meet up with her eventually and well, i mean maybe can, we don't know that we don't know because that can take years i mean my parents were yeah. separated due to war and and we didn't know the next time when we were going to see her yeah dad. and we i don't even know. think that's the point i think the point is that this guy lied to her and like when you're when you're a person who is that emotionally vulnerable and you've you've already been betrayed essentially by your entire country the last person that you expect to lie to you, if that person lies to you, you feel like that's it. Like there's nothing left to live for. You've, you're alone. You can't trust anybody. And now she has to go to a foreign country and continue to be alone. She's lost everything at that point. Oh, wow. Okay, critical reaction. I've got two here I'm going to read. Uh, Allison Wilmore from Vulture. Over a decade ago in 2010, Jafar Panay was sentenced to six years in prison and a 20-year ban on directing films. He has, in the time since, directed five features. The unfathomable difficulty of this feat is as, as astonishing as how vital and how good his work continues to be. No Bears may be the best of them all. Another one. No Bears. This is from Anne Hornaday for, from the Washington Post. Gave it four stars, saying... No Bears would be thoroughly engaging simply as a wryly funny fish-out-of-water story with some diverting film-within-a-film meta-text thrown in for thoughtful measure. But as Panay's stories mirror and merge, 
his deeper observation coming to sobering and ultimately deeply moving focus. Despite the simplicity and clarity of its storytelling, this is a film of surpassing sophistication. From its graceful camera work, Panay favors long, subtly bravada takes to its virtually invisible editing, which knits geographically separate stories together in a way that makes their meaning meanings culminatively clear. Those are the two that I thought were really nice and encapsulated a lot of what I thought about the film. Yeah, those are brilliant. Deeper analysis. To you guys, I asked this one question. What, is, what does the metaphor of bears mean to you? If there are no bears, what are bears? Danger. Baron? Yeah, I think like adversaries. But, and, and I think that that's... I think that that's a lie and a lie. Yeah. Like, I think that he's like, he's saying, oh, there's no, there's no bears. There's no danger. There's no adversaries, but that's clearly a lie. i see. I, I very much see the similar thing. I think bears is a metaphor for the things you're afraid of. Mm. And by no bears, he's saying there's nothing to be afraid of. And not that it's not true, but it's something you have to tell yourself. Yeah. Because he's meeting this guy who says, don't go that route. Come with me first. Have a tea. I want to talk to you. Don't go that route. There's bears there. It's not safe. Comes in, has a cup of tea. He's like, just tell them what you need to tell them. Do what you need to do, whatever. And like he convinces him to take the oath. He was going to go take the oath. Anyway. And then he comes, and after that, he goes down the route and he's like, well, what about the bears? And the exact quote is, there are no bears. Nonsense. Stories made up to scare us. Our fear empowers others. No bears. And this idea of like, whether it's the government that imposes all these uh, draconian rules and mm -hmm. regulations, or whether it's, anything you're afraid of in life he's pushing through the fear that mm -hmm. is imposed upon him and he's saying but the way i live my life is without is fearless mm. i'm a fearless director because i have to be in order to pursue my art so if if bears is fear and he's saying there's no bears this is him saying in order to exist under the circumstances you one must become fearless like the people right now in the uprising currently yeah. are two, like women are during the women life freedom movement two other things that i would say about that are in that same scene where he's in the tea house with him and he's like, oh, just just lie. Sometimes it's OK to lie under oath for the sake of keeping the peace to me is kind of reflective of the philosophies of a lot of these, quote unquote, pious people in Iran where they're like, mm -hmm. ah, who cares? Just lie and you'll get out of torture or just lie and we'll let you go or whatever. You know what I mean? And I think that he is often faced with that where it's like just lie to the public tell them that you're like a spy for whatever or tell them that you're mm -hmm. like an enemy of this or and we'll let you go it doesn't matter like as long as we maintain peace and i think that it's commentary on that that it's like look these people don't actually care for the Quran or they don't care for the truth they're just trying to maintain a status quo um and then the other thing mm -hmm. that I wanted to mention about the title is in the um, in their like quote unquote quote courthouse where it's just like the room where they do the the oaths, the oath house. Mm -hmm. um, he's like, Yaqub says to everybody, bears got your tongue, which I'm guessing yes. is a translation of a Azeri saying. I should have confirmed this with my dad, but. Otherwise, I think that they would have translated it as cats caught your tongue because everywhere else in the movie idioms are like translated to what they would be in English. That one's yeah. not is translated to bears got your tongue. So I think yeah. that that is also reflective of that scene. Like the title is reflective of that scene. Best scene. 
I I have two. Uh, the him standing in the desert in the bo- the border, the realization of the border, and stepping back. I just think it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. I also want to add. I think it's. We'll talk about best performance later, but I think this is Panay's best performance, like as an actor mm. that I've seen in all of his other films. I think he's really good in this one. And I really like the oath giving ceremony, mm. not just the dialogue, but Yaqub's uh, performance. Yeah. I think that actor is very good too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and that whole, like the speech he gives when he's condemning the rest of the men for not packing him up, I think is really powerful. And mm-hmm. so those are my two favorite scenes. Those are my best scenes for me. Um, My, just a quick one. Mine is, uh, and I don't, I, it's kind of weird, but it's the one where Panahi is in his room with Khanbar and he's like, Oh, you recorded when you shouldn't have, and you didn't record when you should have. I just think that that scene is so funny and so sweet. And Gambar mm. is so like bashful about the whole thing, and like ne- kneeling. He's yeah, kneeling he's before like kneeling, him, yeah. Smi- and yeah. he's like smiling, and he's like embarrassed. And even Panahi isn't like angry. He like yeah. I think he thinks it's kind of funny that this happened it's cute. because he's talking shit. Yeah, he's yeah. talking smack about him, right? Yeah. yeah. And I don't <laughs> think he's like, himself. he's not saying anything damning about him. I think the other villagers are definitely being more damning about Panahi. And he's yeah. trying to like navigate a situation where he clearly respects Panahi, but he yeah. also doesn't want to respect these other villagers who are talking smack about him. So he's caught in yeah. this weird place and then it's recorded and Panahi's like, he thinks it's kind of funny and he's embarrassed. I just thought it was a really sweet scene. And the and the modesty of like, I ruined your film. He's like, nah, nah, it's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. He's like, no, I ruined, I ruined yeah, your film. Yeah, he's like, I ruined the whole thing. I'm so as soon as the part goes like he might be a spy, and Bad's like, I, I gotta go see if my mother needs anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he gets out of the room really quickly. <laughs> it's such it's uh, such a good scene. That's, yeah. I yeah, yeah, that was a that was and and then you're right, the look on Ganbar's face is just brilliant as he's knelt. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. For me, the t- I had yeah two favorite scenes. One of them is shared with uh, with Yukave, uh, the border, and, mm-hmm. at, at night. I just I thought that was so powerful. But also, when uh, Solduz comes to visit him, uh, I think there was so much so much meaning in that scene because Panai uh, is like you know y- y- you're educated, you can talk, you can talk your way out of this, like you can talk through the problems. And mm-hmm. Soldu's response is, if your problems could have been solved by talking, you wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, and, and I think that speaks to Panay's situation, to all of our situations mm-hmm. as Iranians. If talking could have solved our problems, <laughs> we wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it kind of, kind of talks on to the fact that, yeah, diplomacy really... Uh, doesn't work in that place <laughs> i like the point that he makes with that too where he's like look we're educated people we should be able to talk this out right i love that yeah i i have a, a honorable mention for a really good scene is and it's really just a point that's made in the scene but when they're getting the kid to give his account of what he saw as a witness Mm-hmm. And Pana, he's like, you don't even need my photo. Look, you have a witness. Here's your proof. Take this kid. Yeah. And they're like, well, he's a kid. Like, we can't trust his account of things. His word means nothing. His word means nothing. <laughs> and he's like, that's the word you're using to accuse me. Uh, me. Like, what? Yeah. 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 Which I thought was was great. Yeah, it's very funny. Uh, least favorite scene. My least favorite scene, uh, I'll just say it, 
pretty coldly. It's his film within a film doesn't do it for me. I get there's parallels there with like the struggle and like hardships, but I any one of those scenes I just want to keep going back to Panay's. And specifically, my least favorite scene is the one where uh, Zara, I think, uh-huh. is like she ta- she's wearing the wig and she takes it off. Something about her performance isn't really nailing it for me there. Yeah, that's- it, I can almost feel like I can see the acting like when she looks away from the camera. I can almost like see her like going through the lines in her head. Mm-hmm. I think she might be a very talented actor and I haven't seen her in other things, but, and she's also better in the, the other scenes she's in, but that specific scene to me just feels it bumps for me. And if I had to pick a least favorite scene, it's that for me. Kava, are you ready for my reaction to that? Yeah. That's interesting. Oh God. It's your favorite scene in the whole movie. It's not my favorite. I gave you my favorite and I gave you my runner up, but you'll I'll yeah. talk about why later. Um, yeah, yeah. I actually remember turning to my dad during that scene. I'd be like, oh, this performance. No, this isn't doing it. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, what about least favorite scene then for you guys? That that was it for me. Oh, yeah. Same one? Same, same one. Yeah. My, That's interesting, Farah. My least favorite is the scene where it's his name is Bakhtiar, right? The yes. other guy. In yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Where he is crying outside the bar. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think it's just that the dialogue felt a little stiff. Like, it almost felt like he wanted the movie to end with her suicide. And so he was trying to find a way to bridge the wig scene with the suicide. Mm. And it felt like a first draft of that scene. The fact that we all had to talk about it and be like, wait, what is the justification? Blah, blah, blah. And I feel like I understood what his intention was. I just feel like it it wasn't written very well. Yeah. Just that one scene. Other than that, I, I didn't even have an issue with um the wig scene. And I'm going to use this as a segue into Damn That's Poetry because part of her monologue, I thought, was like some of my favorite lines of the movie were in that monologue. Well, look, we can't all have good taste, Farron, so it's good that you're here for this. <laughs> no, but go on. What's your, let's go. Damn That's Poetry scene where we discuss our favorite uh, quotes of the film. Farron, you take it away. So there were a couple of little things that I liked. Like when the old lady was like, did you see a gin? Like, I thought that that was funny. Um, Also, when when uh, the cat says to Yagob and he's like, quiet, I'm talking. I was like, oh, God, like I loved it because it was like, again, he's that that elder in the community. He's like everyone's father or grandfather. And so Mm. in that cultural context, when that guy's like, I'm talking. It's like, mm-hmm. yo, that guy basically just took a backhand to the mouth. Um, right. So those those were just some little things that I liked. My honorable mention is when Panahi says, now I understand you're looking for an excuse to make me want to leave. That's my honorable mention because I think mm-hmm. it's reflect. I think that's him saying that line directly mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. government. For sure. But my sure. number one was a portion of the, the monologue, and I'm just going to read it. Um, <clears throat> you're just focused on ending your movie the way that you want to show that there's a light at the end of the tunnel to show that at least one of us got out but did you ever think what I'm supposed to do then why do I even have to go why do any of us have to go for the last 10 years any small glimmer of light gave us hope that we were saved to get out of this ocean that was on the verge of drowning us Then we go and we get stuck and come back and over and over and over, we get stuck at the border. Have you ever, have you even thought about what's supposed to happen to those who get left behind? So I'm 
دست تو دست دارین که فیلمتون اونجور که دلتون میخواد تموم بکنین که فقط نشون بدین که یه نور امیدی هست که بالاخره یه نفر هست که بره ولی اصلا به این فکر کردین که من چی کار کنم؟ اصلا برای چی باید برم؟ برای چی رفت؟ ده ساله که هر یه نور امیدی پیدا میشه هم میشیم میریم به قیمتی که تو دریا غرق بشیم بعد دوباره میریم بعد دوباره برمیگردیم بعد میریم پشت مرزا گیر میکنیم دوباره برمیگردیم تو این جهنم خراب شده And then it, he, she continues, and it's more specific to the scene. But I think that 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 first part of her montage was really powerful, and I think that that is Panahi speaking to the audience that's questioning why why don't you just leave? Why are you still here? Blah 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 blah. And I think that it's also him commenting directly on the plight of women in Iran. I, I will say that I think of all the characters, she her character is the clear substitute surrogate character for Panahi himself. And to the point where it actually concerns, like her storyline ends in suicide. And even the look on Panay's face, the last look you see, it's like, it just leaves you to wonder like if everything she's saying, because I like the writing of mm. the stuff she's saying. So I'm with you on the quote. It was just a little bit of the performance, but it makes me wonder like if she's a bit of a surrogate or substitute for him in real life, how much do you think he might've struggled? That shit could drive you through depression. A lot of men from that generation struggle with a lot of mm -hmm. mental illness, depression, anxiety, fears. And mm. it makes you think if that is, in my opinion, her playing him. Yeah. How much of that did he, has he fought with, you know? I think he's fought with it quite a bit in my personal opinion. And I'm just projecting here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because, uh, you know, uh, obviously as artists, like we all were, you know, emotional roller coasters, but being... Jafar Panahi, like you can only imagine the roller coaster of emotions he's riding on a daily mm -hmm. basis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if those scenes are also from like another movie that he'd probably planned on writing and working through. And then at one point it's just like, this probably works better. You know what I mean? Like it almost seems like those could have been scenes from another script that he's kind of merging to this one. Yeah, maybe. Um, I'll say for my uh, really quickly, damn, that's poetry. It's the Yaqub scene when the, during the oath. Yeah, that was a good one. He goes... His, his monologue is great and the actor is great. He goes, nonsense. My life has been ruined and no one cares. You see an important person from the city and you believe whatever he says. What's gotten into you? Bear's got your tongue now. You let him disrespect our traditions. I'm talking to each and every one of you. And then fast forwarding a little bit, he goes, you were all enjoying our cord cutting ceremony, eating and laughing. Why this attitude now? Express your opinion proudly. Five years ago, I went to ask another girl's hand. You said she belonged to someone else. There will be blood. Why aren't you supporting me? I'm 30 now. No one would give me another girl. No one. The bastard is after my honor, my future wife. My honor is our honor. Dillenim ba başlı salmayınca aşağıya. Beş yıl bundan da bak ben kulağımın kızını istedim. Onda dediz yok babam olmaz. Onca öbeğin çesipler ayrı adamın adına. Kan tüşersen deri soyarlar, öldürerler. Ben ol böyle bu da onun taydı da. Benim otuz sinnim var ev. Dayı beni hiç yesin kapısında ceden benim. Hiç yesin bana kız vermez. Hiç yesin. And what I like about that is actually like he's such a good actor. And I think his thing is so like he's kind of the villain and he's like such a like he's ready to like kill at any moment. But I feel like in that scene, you kind of see how traditions have let him down too. he is a victim of traditions because he goes mm -hmm. five years ago. I was going to marry this other woman and I couldn't because you said she belonged to someone else from our court cutting ceremony. So now I couldn't marry that other person. And now I can't marry the person that was like promised to me. 
So traditions and following the rules and regulations of their culture has let this guy down. So he's a victim of the traditions too. Because it's not, it clearly seems like he didn't want to marry this girl. He was going to marry another girl five years ago that he was in love with. And the traditions of that culture were like, you can't marry her. She's promised to someone else. So I really love that because it kind of paints him as like, not, not with sympathy, but like you kind of get why he's so jaded. You know what I mean? And that's why I really love that scene. Mm. Uh, that's poetry. I think the whole film was poetry. It was very much a big poetic <laughs> piece from beginning to end. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't isolate a part that really stood out. Uh, it was For me, it was the whole film. I mean, it's it's all very poetic, the way it's executed, the way it's shot, the way it's cut. It's just visual and aud- mm. audio poetry. Uh, cool. Um, favorite performance? For me, it's Ganbar, Vahid Movasari. Vahid Movasari. I think he, just everything about him is charming. I want to cast him in a bunch of roles now. Like, I didn't know who he was before this, and I fell in love with him. Yeah. I think the actor is great. Yeah. It's funny. That's I have the same answer, and I, I thought this was going to be like a weird take to be like, that's my favorite. That's the standout. Um, my runner up is, mm-hmm. is definitely Yagub. That, that performance that he gives in the, in the oath house, I was like, damn, like he almost convinced me yeah, that he's yeah. not yeah. an asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but yeah, definitely. I think Vahid was, was my standout. Uh, for, I know this is going to be a contested one, but Bakhtiar for me did it. Uh, even though he had a smaller role, I just, the sadness, the melancholy, the physical acting, um, I, f- I felt every bit of his sadness in every shot. Interesting. Nitpicks and hot takes. Do you guys have any? I can't. How do you nitpick this? I have one. <laughs> I have one and it's like the nitpickiest nitpick. Mm-hmm. Anytime anyone asks him a question in this movie, he responds with a one word version of the same question. Mm. And it's like, it happens constantly. I didn't even notice that. And I, and I'm noticing it more the second time that I watched it. And I, and I don't like it. They'll be like, Hey, have you seen a girl out on the street? And he's like, girl, mm-hmm. like, did you take a photo <laughs> photo? <laughs> did you go to the border border? Like every <laughs> single time. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is not right. good. Like, I didn't, I didn't notice, notice it until the second time, though, to be fair. My only minor nitpick is, like, did the film within the film have to be a docudrama? Because if it was just a movie, like, it's this is already a movie that's pretending not to be a movie that's starring himself about a guy making a movie. So did the movie within the movie have to be a fake movie about documenting a real... It, it was, like, so many layers to me that I'm like, why couldn't that have just been a movie? If that makes sense. Can I respond to that? Uh, I would, I would not call it a docudrama. I would call it hybrid mm-hmm. cin- cinema. Uh, and Jafar Penai is known for totally. his yeah. brand of hybrid cinema. A lot of people credit hybrid cinema to Penai. I think you could go further back and give it to his ostad, his mm-hmm. master Kiaro Stami, who really, uh, you know, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, um, pu- pu- gave this yeah. genre life and meaning. Uh, I, so I wouldn't call it docudrama. I would call that hybrid cinema where, you, where, where you, you're mixing fiction and reality to get this uh, incredible explosive But this is even experience. more, I mean, it is that, but it's still like also those people are really trying to get out of the country in the context of the movie and are actually leaving. So he's documenting them leaving. So it's not like offside. It's like, but that's not, do- it's not even like, it's not even like taxi or 
It is also, it, it, I mean, it is hybrid, but it's very much like these events are actually happening to the point where when you flash back, when you cut to those scenes, you don't know which scenes are scenes and which scenes are them doing behind the scenes. But that's, that's, but that's, that's also point. what that's the, the film is. Cinema. That's what no bears is. So it's like, he's doing that on top of doing that. <laughs> I know, but it's, it's the same thing that Kiara Stami does in the Coker trilogy. Like, yes. And and I think that he he does it because he comes from that school of filmmaking. Like I think that it's not just a one time thing. Like I think that it's an entire genre that's come out of Iran, and it's not something that we have a lot of here in Canada. I'm just saying he's not exclusively that director. Like Crimson Gold isn't that. The White Balloon isn't that. So it's like, would it have hurt to just make? Would it have made the film worse if he had just been making a Crimson Gold sequel, for example? Like. I get that there isn't the paralleling themes, right. but it's just like, I, I guess it's just my way of saying like, I didn't care. I didn't care about the, the movie he was making. as much. Every time I cut away from that, I would just wanted to see him back in the village. That's fair. Yes. Right. No accounting for taste. You're wrong, but that's fair. <laughs> but also, like I said, I think, I think that that film that he was making was mm. the framework. It was the set yeah. set piece. Right. And, and I mean, it, it should be viewed as such, not as yeah. like a yeah. right. parallel storyline. Um, what aged poorly? Do you guys have anything? Mm, I have nothing. Not that for me, this not again, not that it's aged poorly, but I just the idea that in 2023, there's still villages in Iran that are forcing women into marriages with men they don't want to based on deals they made when they, the, the girl was born. Like, I get it. Culture. I guess, but it's like this is not even a this is not even a government. It's not uh, that's misogyny. Dude, that, Don't call misogyny. it culture. It's I mean, I'm just again, I'm yeah. not trying to and talk that, down to the village's culture, but what I'm saying is, it's not. This wasn't even a. It's not even a government imposed sanction, right? They're not saying the government's forcing us to this. So, in a country where the government's giving you all this shit to women, you really have to have this village have a culture where it's like on top of that, we're promising this woman uh, from it's an umbilical cord cutting ceremony where we're promising her to. It's like, well, I'm I'm sorry to say, but there's a reason the government is able to get away with the things mm -hmm. they get away yeah. with because so many of the people unfortunately you know within that country they see things a lot differently than yep. you and i no i know i'm just saying that's already aged poorly for you know it's, it's like fuck man this is still happening hey eh? like this is taking place today i think that it's also important to mention that w with what ruzbe just said it's this isn't only happening in villages this is a hundred percent happening in metropolitan areas of iran as well it's definitely not the majority of people they're definitely in the minority, but if those people didn't exist, th this current regime would have never gotten to power. And all these people who want to pretend like, oh, like Iran was completely hijacked, yada, 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 are blind to history. Like if you go watch the protests that happened in 79 and in 78, there's a lot of people in the street. A lot of people prop this stuff up. And like Khomeini coming in, there's tons of people in the street who are cheering for him. I'm not saying that that's a good thing. That's obviously a terrible thing. But I'm saying that like this is a product of what was happening in Iran and to some extent what is still being propped up in Iran. You know what I mean? And, and I think until we can acknowledge that, there won't be a change. People need to acknowledge that there are people in the country who see things different from them. I obviously don't see it the way that these people do. I don't believe in imposing marriage contracts on people at all. But I think that it's it's important to mention that this isn't just a thing of like, oh, it aged poorly. I think that it's also something that is unfortunately still yeah. happening yeah. in Iran. Yeah, I Iran is not just the north of Tehran, man. You know, like... 
There's yeah. <laughs> there's no. a lot lot more happening than just the northern parts of Tehran. Yeah. I would make the argument that even in northern Tehran, like there's probably still tons of people who are like this archaic in the way and, that they and, see certain things. Which I, I struggle to use the word archaic because if it's happening now, it it it's obviously not and, and archaic. I don't agree with just it. For but context, it's happening. northern Tehran is like notorious for affluent, sort of progressive, mm-hmm. uh, rich, uh, modern, up to date kind of people. <laughs> Just, just for to contextualize mm. what we mean when we say Northern Terror. Yeah. Um, double feature lineup. I have two. I'll just quickly fire them off. I and this is the first time I've had double feature lineups. They're both Iranian films. My two are Close Up because Close Up is a movie about making movies, and this is like the movie within a movie. Mm-hmm. But also a separation because uh, Farhadi's a separation is it, the crux of the plot is based on an unseen and ambiguous event. You don't know. No, not sorry. Not a separation. My apologies. Um, the salesman. In the salesman, you don't know exactly mm. the details of that. His girlfriend or wife has who's been attacked in the bathroom, right? And the plot, the mm. crux of the plot, is focused on an unseen event that we don't know. The amb- ambiguity of whether what took place and how it went down is like the focal point, and that, so that to me is like paralleling each other very nicely. Yeah, I, I have two movies here as well. Um, first one would be. Through the Olive Trees by Abbas Kiarostami. Um, and one of the main reasons is because Panayi was his assistant on that movie. Mm-hmm. And it kind of would, can, can, you know, can paint a picture of how Panahi got to where he is as a filmmaker by mm-hmm. watching that movie. You can see him in the movie too. Like he's in, in the film. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other one uh, would be Yol, which I think translates to The Road. Mm-hmm. By uh, Yilmaz Guni, who I mentioned previously in this mm-hmm. uh, talk, and he directed this um, film from prison. Um, yeah, by, a, by I haven't s- seen that film. Great. Yeah, I, I would I would hi- highly recommend anything by Yilmaz Guni, whether he was the screenwriter or director. But yeah, and and I think there, and I would love to ask Mr. Panayi if if I ever get a chance to, if he was at all influenced if No Bears was at all influenced by the life and work of Yilmaz Guni, which which it must have been because he's also shooting in Turkey, right? And Yilmaz was a right. Turkish... He was Kurdish, but uh, in living in Turkey and imprisoned in Turkey as well. Well, you're in luck, Ruzbe, because we have Jafar Panay with us right here off mic. He's just been <laughs> silent this whole time. He's nodding yes. He's saying yes. He was. That was the intention. <laughs> Thumbs up from him. Okay, good. Thank you, Mr. Panay. Uh, um, <laughs> go for it. Mine is uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> yep, for obvious reasons. No, I was gonna say honestly, any movie from the Cooker trilogy, especially the the second or third, just because it it definitely establishes that genre of you know movie within a movie, and you're kind of blurring the reality versus what's fiction. Um, and it's a nice way to to be like, okay, here's this guy's master. And I'm using it kind of translated from Iran, from from how we use it in Iran. Mm-hmm. Ostad is like a master or a maestro, mm-hmm. right? Like a musical maestro. But we use it for other forms of art as well. So in this case, Ostad, he'd be like a maestro of filmmaking. And Panahi was his student, so learned from him and is kind of carrying on that torch. So I think that's like the obvious answer for me. Great. Can this be a modern Hollywood remake I would say this is my first time saying no. I said yes to the other ones that we did, 
But I say no because this film is specifically so inherently personal to him. So but it's like not only would I venture to say it can't be made by a Hollywood remake, I don't think any other director could make this movie because mm. it's so inherently personal to knowing Panay's journey, his struggles, his fight with the government, and it takes the experience, the pressures, the house arrest that's been placed upon him, the ban on making films. This cannot be made in a Hollywood remake. It would lose all of its, it would lose all of its uh, soul if it was made in mm. another country. That's my personal opinion. What about you guys? All, all in favor, say aye. Aye. <laughs> Aye-ish. Aye-ish. <laughs> I, I, no, I fully back COVID. I, I, there's no way that this could be remade. Yeah. By anyone. I, I agree. One thing that I think that they could do to like kind of adapt it a little bit is you could I think you could make a remake of the movie within the movie and do it in a way that is culturally different. So for example Zack Snyder's No Bears. Zack Snyder's No Bears. Yeah. No. Um where it, it can be like someone in the US is direct maybe there's like I don't know, maybe, or even like, I don't know, set it in Russia, but it's like made by Hollywood and someone's remotely directing somebody who's in Ukraine trying to escape or something. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's a way that you can do the movie within the movie mm -hmm. without the village plot, but it's still like a director remotely directing somebody else through this quasi real, quasi fictional thing, mm -hmm. just set it in a completely different setting and... I think that's the only way you could really do it. But yeah, otherwise, like, beat for beat, I don't see how you could. Final thoughts and grades. Um, Ruzby, let's start with you. Final thoughts. Uh, I, I hope to see more films from Jafar Panay, and I hope that, you know, uh, films like this inspire Iranian filmmakers to keep making incredible, impactful films because, you know, as we all know, the state of Iranian cinema right now is not in a good shape. It's not in a good state. Uh, if you don't play ball with the ruling class, the regime, you are not making films. So I just hope that this, this can inspire younger filmmakers to be fearless, to see no bears, <laughs> no fear, and, and, and make fearless films. Um, and and I really I really think this is one of Penai's best uh, best films. I agree. Well said. What would you give it a school grade if you were a teacher marking it from A plus of, to F? I'd give it an A or an A plus. Damn near. I mean, I I'm in no position like I I'm like that. That's really like humiliating almost for me to to have to say like oh I'll grade this as something. It's you know Jafar Penai is an ostad, is a maestro, is a master. Uh, and for me to be able to, 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 to give him a grade, I just, I couldn't do it. I wouldn't be able to. It's just that it, that's very, uh, humble of you, but it would be just also to help other people know if they're going to watch some of these movies they've never seen before, how highly you praise it or whatever. So I highly, yeah. highly, 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 highly recommend a plus plus then or a plus or a, yeah, a plus, a plus, right. a plus. Let's go. Baran grades and final. I, I, I just want to say I love the way that Ruzba said I would love to see more by Panahi. I'm looking forward to seeing more by him. It kind of sounds like obviously the second part of what you said completely negates what I'm about to say. But it sounds like you're giving encouragement to like a budding director. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah this, you know, this, this Panahi guy, he's like pretty good. I'm looking forward to <laughs> yeah. seeing more movies by him. Um, Can't wait to see his second film. 
<laughs> sophomore yeah. film bears no i you just can't get enough of this stuff right and yeah, i think the sure. importance is so yeah. the value of it is so high that i just want to see more and more and more made yeah no a hundred percent um yeah i mean a lot of my thoughts on this i think i gave it at the beginning um that whole experience that i had watching it in a theater and everybody being dead silent i think is a testament to the power of this movie um that's not something i've experienced much of i can't think of a single movie where that's ever happened that i've seen so i'm struggling between like a and a plus on this it's like it's so close to being an a plus for me the thing is for me like an a plus you know what i'm gonna reserve a plus plus for a perfect movie that goes above and beyond and i'm gonna say a plus is like this is really 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 good and i'm gonna give this an a plus it's an a minus for me it was at one my first screen my first viewing of it was a b minus because wow i I really i enjoyed it like let's talk let's b minus still very good grade i but i am giving it a minus because once i unlocked the idea that this is a man who's deliberately lying and withholding a secret i kind of started really getting into the mindset of what this guy's fighting for and the themes resonated for me I really, really like it a lot. Yeah. It is my favorite Panayi film. But like when I, I just reserve A and A plus for the things that I'm like unparalleled. And there's just other movies I like more. And again, I don't know why I feel like I'm justifying an A minus. It's still a very good grade. Um, my concern is far, and this is for you and me. Like, I don't want to constantly, like we haven't given a bad grade yet to a movie. And I'm looking forward to the day that we have like a D minus or, F, or else we'll be the podcast that's just like, oh, we're always giving you know A's and A plus and A minuses to these uh, films. But yeah, it's a solid A minus to me. Um, I don't, I, I yeah. don't know how many movies we can give poor grades to. The whole point of this podcast is that we're picking Iranian movies that people should watch. So I would be shocked if we have a single movie that is like a C or lower I'm sure that there's going to be instances where like I give something or B or an A and Kava, you give it a C or vice versa. But I don't think we're ever going to have a situation where both of us are giving something a really poor grade. But I could be wrong. So then Kava, you're giving it an A minus. I gave it an A plus. Ruzbe, you gave it an A or an A, a plus? A plus, A plus. A plus? A plus. Okay, so this this averages out to about an A. I want to thank uh, Ruzbe for joining us for this podcast. Really insightful conversation. Really cool peek into what the life of an Iranian filmmaker who is actually making films in Iran uh, has to deal with and, and you know the passions that must motivate you to fight through some crazy you know rules and regulations. I will add that the fact that No Bears premiered at Venice just before Panay was sent to Evan Prison in July adds another layer of poignancy to a work of art that epitomizes Mm. how, in the most skilled and judicial hands, allegory and illusion can make the most devastatingly pointed political statements. Farhan and Ruzbe, thank you for joining us all on this podcast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for everyone who's listening. Thank you very much um, for Cinema Rex. I'm Kavi Mohebi. I'm Farhan Moradi. And? And I'm Ruzbe Heydadi. Thank you very much for listening. Be'omidi Didar. Fena Khodafez. Music for Cinema Rex was written and performed by Sohele Satijan.